This is Off the Dome, Season Verbal Fellatio on love, spirituality, and everything in between. This is my home of unfiltered musings from a girl that's always Brooklyn, Caribbean rooted, sarcasm driven, intellectually and spiritually guided. Step inside my casually unfiltered world and let's get into the things. But you can't get enough, she like food Caribbean girl, yeah, yeah, Caribbean girl Rise up, rise up Hey, 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 loves It's your girl, Kimmy And I'm back with another episode of Off the Dome Season Verbal Fellatio on love, spirituality, and everything in between you know how we do. I share my personal journey to, to healing, self-love and all with anecdotes and a hint of inspiration at times. And that's what we do. Are y'all ready for today's episode? I hope so. I'm excited about it. I mean, I feel like I'm excited about every episode, give or take. But I'm kind of low-key excited about this one too, right? Because this episode, it's like been prompted by some things I've been thinking about for some time and talking about for some time. Yes, yes, I know. Last week I was talking about the divine masculine and the feminine. And I know there's a part two coming for that because I really haven't talked about it much. But I'm working on getting that schedule with my special guest. So y'all just got to bear with me on that. All right. In the meantime, in between time. Let's get into something a little different. And this is legit off the dome because I promise you a lot of these thoughts are rooted in shit that happened at 12 o'clock yesterday. No, really. Like, (laughs) it all started with Angel Reese and the lovely ladies of Louisiana State University who on Sunday upset Caitlin Clark and the University of Iowa by winning the NCAA Women's Basketball Championship. So now ready so boom so clark who had already broken a number of records during her march madness tour had understandably so been talking shit with her hand gestures and the like because you know that's how you do in basketball right you pop a little shit and she found herself suddenly on the receiving end of the shit popping when it became evident that reese and her team were about to win the game why is that a big deal high key it's not But of course, it became a topic of national conversation because multiple people across the country called Reese out for displaying unsportsmanlike conduct, quote unquote, to which Reese responded with a hefty dose of, I really don't care because I deserve, paraphrased, of course. And if you haven't guessed it by now, or if you haven't been following the news, Angel Reese is black and Caitlin Clark is white. This is not, though, a podcast on pervasive double standards rooted in race. Although, to be honest, y'all know that's a whole podcast in and of itself, right? 
that's like a whole series in and of itself. But no, this is about something else. Because you see, as I quietly comment gawked as I want to do when controversial topics go mainstream, what stood out to me was the age ranges of the commentary. For example, I noticed that just about everyone, with a few exceptions, in my age bracket were all pretty much in agreement with Reese's sentiment. Especially when, during her post-game press conference, she noted, quote, so this was for the girls that look like me that's going to speak up on what they believe in. End quote. Most of the dissent came from those slightly older than me and up, with the biggest complaint being that it was classless, quote unquote. Now, before I go too deep down the rabbit hole of racist double standards that people who have them don't even realize they are doing, and that goes for all races and and it's just because it's so ingrained, I really want to note something crucial about the age ranges of the commentary surrounding the good baby sis. Because y'all know I'm a change agent, have been all my life. You might even call me a disruptor. I promote the shift of ideals, thought processes, ingrained commentary, and the like, even if and especially if it makes you uncomfortable. Because change isn't comfortable. And sometimes you got to shake up the status quo. As a Xennial slash borderline gen generation Xer, I recognize that I may be an anomaly. But what I noticed about the commentary was that it didn't come from her alpha generation heads or even her generation Z heads. Well, sorry, same thing. But it came from primarily Gen Xers and baby boomers. Did I just throw y'all into a tizzy with all those names? Don't worry, I got you. This is why I'm here. Let's talk generations, shall we? Alright, so boom. 12 or 13 years ago, I wrote a book, a self-help one. It has to be majorly rewritten because much of the information in it is either outdated or incorrect now, including one of the biggest premises of it, which is the generation gap. One of the things I noted in it was, a person born in Generation X is a person that is born of the generation of baby boomers. 1981 is a common end date, but some sources show slightly later end dates. The term was originally coined to describe individuals whose parents were baby boomers. I even go so far as to cite research from a number of researchers on the topic who noted that markers of this were quote unquote sleeping before the, together before they're married, were not taught to believe in God as much, dislike the queen, and don't respect parents, end quote. So again, that was a direct quote, by the way, from a British author, Jane Deverson, who highlighted this as a characterization in her study of British teens. See, a lot has shifted in 12 years or 13, whatever. So let's get into some tea on these generations and how it plays into thought processes, interactions, and the like, shall we? I'll start with me because I'm the easiest example. No, actually, wait, nah, wait. Let me start with my parents because they're the easiest example. That's my mistake. I'm probably the hardest. So boom, ready? I was born of parents from two separate yet consecutive generations. My dad is a member of the silent generation, the markers from 1925 to 1945. They're known historically as children of crises because they came of age in post-World War II and they rarely chose to ruffle feathers, particularly in light of everything that parents were facing. I mean, they were born into the Great Depression and World War I. I mean, two. Think about it. That's a lot and a lot. 
and most are characterized as putting their heads down and working, which is how they got the name Silent, thanks to Time magazine in the early 1950s. They played by the rules, and in most cases, they made the rules out of a sense of security, rules that were ultimately passed down to future generations. They're generally firm believers that most of the battle can be won by showing up and working hard. Something noteworthy, 8% of the United States Senate are of the silent generation. Now, my mom, she's a baby boomer. She was born between 1946 and 1964, and they're named that due to the literal boom or surge in births during their generation. They saw the effects of World War II. They came of age during the Civil Rights Movement. They had a lot of veterans in a pointless war. Yeah, I said it. It's a pointless war. Oh, my Lord, y'all. I lost my thought. <laughs> Don't judge me, okay? All right. So, anyway, a lot of veterans, pointless war. <clears throat> the Vietnam War is what I meant to say. And they were directly impacted by the Cold War. They were kids when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, and they were a part of the beginning of the LGBTQ movement. They carry much of the generation before them's characteristics, such as being believers and working hard and defining their accomplishments by career-driven milestones, right? And they're often want to overlook taking breaks in order to accomplish their goal. Naturally competitive and resourceful, they tend to take a lot of pride in being acknowledged for their accomplishments. And though, right, though they can be more open-minded than, say, like the average person might think, right? They can be much more open-minded than their, like, silent counterparts, though. A lot of times it comes at a cost, or it's, like, relative. And as another note, 66% of the Senate are baby boomers. Just gonna leave that there for you. Next up, Generation X sometimes known as the latchkey generation because they slash we were often left home alone while their parents worked. Remember what I just said about taking pride in working? Generation X is the middle child of the generations. They're chronically overlooked in so many ways. They start in 1965 and end in 1981 or 1980. Again, it depends. Financially, they're the most impacted by, well, everything. For starters, credit, you know, the credit scoring system, created by the generation before them and most beneficial to the boomers. Same goes for Social Security benefits, created by boomers, benefiting boomers, also set to run out in 10 years. I'm not bitter. Everything's fine. No, really, I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm just genuinely pointing out facts here, right? Because Generation Xers actually have a lot of cool stuff going for them, too. They're the first generation to come of age in a technologically driven world and to use it to their benefit, right? They're significantly bigger on work-life balance, which makes complete sense when you consider what, right? Like, you consider why they're the latchkey generation to begin with, right? They're decidedly more liberal in general than their boomer parents and they had the biggest boom in music than all of the generations combined they invented hip-hop grunge rock salute to the spells smells like teen spirit bro kurt Bo cobain i bet you didn't see that one coming did you 
came of age during the Carter and Reagan years, so multiple pandemics, AIDS and crack cocaine being the biggest ones, lived through two recessions. Two. <laughs> I pause here because this is where I would insert my little micro generation here into the Xennials, a combination of Generation X and the Millennials. And this micro generation exists primarily because, well, they exhibit characteristics and experiences of both Generation X Generation X <laughs> and the Millennials. But let me explain the Millennial generation right quick first, though, because that way the Xennials will make much more sense. So, the Millennials, the most racially and ethnically diverse generation in history. Coming of age during Y2K, you may remember this as the turn of the century when the conspiracy theorist them said the world was going to end. <laughs> they too saw AIDS become a global pandemic. They grew up during Operation Desert Storm, most best known as the Iraqi War. Can pinpoint exactly where they were, most likely on a high school or college campus when the Twin Towers fell. They were likely recruited to then fight the subsequent war on terror, which is known as the Afghanistan War, and can distinctly remember where they were when they got their first cell phone. They grew up with computers in their classrooms. They can actually tell you about not having to remove their shoes before going through airport security. And they're often called lazy. For the record, they're not lazy. They're firm believers in working smarter, not harder. They're currently the biggest population in the country at 73 million. And they're largely responsible for putting Barack Obama in office. Thank you. <laughs> Does that mean they're also to blame for the subsequent president? Or is that the boomers who cap out at a pretty close 72 million? I ain't saying nothing. I'm going to just mind my business on that one. I'm just calling, you know, state facts. But anyway, back to these Xennials, right? And we got one more generation after this before I get into why I want to high key be like them when I grow up. The alphas, that is. So my look. Not the alphas, Jesus Christmas. Generation Z is who I want to be like. <laughs> Don't mind me, y'all. So my little micro generation gives them big hugs, big virtual hugs. We're also called, called the Oregon Trail generation after one of the first computer games. Y'all know the ones on them big ass computers that took up your entire desk and the side of your room, roughly set between 1977 and 1984, were the generation that caught the tail end read reruns of Schoolhouse Rock. But we grew up on Reading Rainbow, and we were too old for Power Rangers when it hit, even though, Loki, we snuck and watched an episode or four anyway, because why not, right? We saw Michael Jackson in all stages, from the big nose to the rhinoplasty nose number four. We knew Michael with the Jerry curl. We knew Michael with the afro. We knew Michael with the wig. We knew we knew all the Michaels, right? And we were front and center, busting down every move Fatima did in the Remember the Time video, which we vividly set our VCR for. We grew up with Robin Williams and Eddie Murphy. We can distinctly remember when MTV played nothing but videos. And when the first episode of Real World hit the airwaves, we are the Saturday Night Live generation. We had both beepers and cell phones and went through the most world shifting changes of any generation, more than the boomers and the silent generation combined. We were likely huddled 
in our lunchroom in front of the TV, watching first in delight and then in horror as the first teacher to go to space was horrifically blown up in the Challenger d disaster in 1985 and then 1986. And then we watched history repeat itself as a young adult in college when the Columbia exploded on re-entry. This, of course, was right before 9-11. Finally, we have Generation Z. I'm not getting into Generation Alpha today. I said that already. So Generation Z are the children of the young, younger Generation Xers and the Xennials. With a sprinkle of the Millennials too, Generation Z is from 1997 to 2012. So for example, I'm an Xennial and I have a Generation Z child. So now how do you know they're Generation z -er? I'm going to tell you. They were born into technology and have zero concept of a time before it existed. They consider house phones and pay phones to be ancient models. They were too young to or didn't yet exist during 9-11. So all they know is what they've heard and are the first social media generation with most social media platforms being created during their lifetimes. They're also, by far, the most likely to be socially active and charged for change, have zero interest in working any harder than they absolutely have to, are extraordinarily candid in their thoughts and approach to life, and most importantly, well to me anyway, are categorically misjudged at every step. Generations in 10 minutes or less, right? And so boom, ready? The thing that I love the most about Generation Z is, in fact, their unapologetic candor. Now, my generations and the generations before them, we all lived off of a credo that perpetuated code switching and specific mannerisms in the workplace and beyond, especially as it came to affecting change in their environment. Generation Z is the first generation to be directly impacted by the choices of the silent generation and the baby boomers. And before you say that's not true, consider this. Generation Z and the subsequent generation are the first generation that can actually look out their window and see the direct impact of climate change. The first generation to directly be impacted by decades of inattention to mental health. See 123 mass shootings in 2023 thus far. Also see active shooter drills in schools. And one of the first generations to actively tackle head on a change on a massive level. They are unapologetically about that life. They live to stomp out the status quo simply by being who they are. And folks love to be mad at them for it. I go to bat for Gen Z all the time. Their voices are loud and I am here for it. They do not give two shits about how it comes across. And while there are absolutely scenarios where this may not prove the most tactful, riddle me this. That tact that we keep insisting on having, where has it gotten us? How's that working out for us? Generation Z has their eyes on the prize and they're not particularly interested in anything that is, well, not that. I distinctly remember having multiple conversations with a few people when my daughter first decided that she wanted to go to beauty school. Now, everyone had her path mapped out and the broad insistence that she start as a hair washer in a salon was frustrating at best and infuriating to her at worst. I remember one distinct, 
let's call it a discussion that she had with a family member where she said exasperated. I've been doing hair at a professional level since I was 15 years old. I was literally an assistant in one of the biggest salons out here. What are you saying? And their response was, well, baby, that's, that's how the world works. To which she responded, well, that's silly. I'm not doing that. They looked to me to interject. I just shrugged. Because, real talk, I'm with her. <laughs> Why exactly does she need to start at the bottom? She has an entire body of work that speaks for itself. Why do we consistently encourage lights to dim themselves in an effort to humble them? Is it that someone did it to you and you feel entitled to keep the cycle going because you'll be damned if someone else has it easier than you did? Is that not literally the purpose of generational knowledge and wisdom? The opportunity to give those behind us a chance to not have to go through what we went through? Why would you go out of their way to break their spirit, to teach them a lesson? That's a really bullshit way to live life, yo. And if that's your motto, I prescribe hugs and healing because I ain't got nothing else for you. There is absolutely a way to impart the current realities of our jacked up world in a healthy, meaningful way that doesn't break their spirit, but also allows them room to decide for themselves what works for them. And there's another key to this, one that we consistently seem to forget in our efforts to teach and provide guidance. Free will. Everyone, including the babies. Everyone. I'm going to say this again. Everyone, including the babies, have the free will to decide what they would like to do. Yes, including the children. And I know a lot of folks don't believe that kids have rights. And I'm here to disabuse you of that notion because they do. Children who are taught that they have no voice, that they don't have rights, tend to become adults that people please and lack boundaries or worse, build up so much unhealed resentment that it blows up in harming others or themselves. And for the record, they're not soft, something I myself have even said in past years until I started to heal. They're working on breaking the cycle, provided that we give them the space and the tools to do so. And we are trying to break the cycle, right? Free will doesn't negate consequence. And I think it's important that we're clear on this because children who are underage absolutely do need guidance. Because while they are decidedly more free-spirited and open, they also do indeed need the consequences of their actions laid out for them, whichever ones they choose to take. So, for example, my daughter, when she got older, she knew that if certain tasks and chores were not taken care of, then she would lose the privilege of having a phone or perhaps going to something that she was really looking forward to going to, right? And my goal was always to make her a well-rounded, accountable adult who had a voice and who understood who she was and who she could be, as well as to ensure that no dusty-ass so-and-so would take advantage of her. Something that I tell her regularly, all the time, ask her. And so that she would also be acutely aware of the consequences of things that she did as she moved 
as a young adult in the world. Did she always listen? Absolutely not. Was that infuriating for me? Hell yeah. Why? Because I always knew exactly what was going to happen as a result. I could see it coming. Always. But, and here is the big but. If I save my child every single time, if I lead her to the right answer every single time, then she never learns true independence. She never learns survival skills. She never learns to adapt. She never learns critical thinking skills, which are key in order to problem solve. And these are all skills that she's going to need as a young adult in this world. Ensuring that my baby girl always had the autonomy of free will is one of the biggest gifts I could have ever given her. And I dare one of y'all to call her classless like you did that poor baby Angel Reese. Come say that to my face. True tea. Anyway. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. I told you. Y'all know Brooklyn come out sometimes. You know, Brooklyn don't play that. Anyway. My baby girl has wigs in every color of the rainbow. She wears lashes that show up before she does. And her nails are longer than my pinky finger. She wears what she wants. She has a dermal piercing, which I can admit I do not get, but it looks super cute on her. My baby girl is also brilliant. I'm talking IQ over 140, brilliant artistic skills at the wazoo brilliant, wise beyond her years, and knows more old school songs than me and my friends combined. She's a prize, period. So is Generation Z. We've just gotten used to looking at them through silent generation lenses. We may not realize it, but that's exactly what we're doing. So here's to the Angel Reese's, to my baby girl and her friends, and to the Generation Zers out there, changing the way we view the world. Y'all keep doing what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. The elders out there, myself included, still have wisdom to impart. So don't forget that while you're endeavoring to change the world. But please, go change the world. I'm rooting for you. Real talk. I want to be just like you when I grow up. Best those me, See y'all next time.